2: Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, empaths. Today, we're talking with Steve Sayer, the director of Ghost in the Afterlife, about proof that there is life after death. Steve has served as an, in an executive capacity for Gold Star International Pictures, Diversified American Industries, and Hollywood Picture Studios. He holds a PhD in psychology and is a graduate from the Defense Language Institute. He also worked as a private investigator for three years, specializing in missing persons and background investigations, completed combat training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and has served in a top secret capacity for both the United States Army and the United States Air Force. In Ghost in the Afterlife, Steve and his team talked to Dr. Raymond Moody, Captain Skip Atwood, James Von Prague, and several other notable experts in the field to explore the existence of consciousness after death. So Steve, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on here to discuss not only this great documentary, but also I'm hoping you could start us off by just telling listeners how you came to make this film.
3: Well, it started out with an interest on my Uh, brother's part who served as the executive producer on the project and his interest was simply a spontaneous uh, sense of curiosity and something that he's always wanted to look into as far as genuine scientific research, something that would prove the existence of life after death.
2: That's wonderful. And now you had some of your own I think you call them after-death experiences rather than near-death experiences. Could you start us off with some of those stories?
3: Yes. Well, the differentiation between the near-death experience and after-death experience, I think, is very important. I know Dr. Moody coined the phrase uh, near-death experience about 50 years ago, I think, almost. However, it, it makes sense to differentiate when somebody literally physically dies. In other words, their heart stops, they stop breathing. They're clinically dead, which would be an after-death experience, Near-death experiences where you you nearly suffer clinical death in one circumstance or another, but you didn't actually technically die. You didn't stop breathing, your heart didn't stop. So that's how I differentiate the two. And I think they're very important because there's different manifestations that occur depending on which of those two different manifestations take place.
4: Your bio is incredible and it's an amazing background, but to go from the extreme of you know a very structured military, it's incredible, how did you jump that fence into this world? You you had your own experiences, but for a lot of our listeners, there is that very practical side and they're getting hit with intuition or experiences that they can't quite explain. How did that work for you with, with blending those two together?
3: Well, I've always taken the subject matter from a purely scientific perspective. And for instance, there's some people say they don't believe in God. And when they say they don't believe in God, I ask them two questions. Do you believe in good and evil? And they all have said yes so far, The half dozen or so that I've spoken to. Then I say, do you believe there's good in the world? They say yes. Do you believe there's evil in the world? They say yes. Then I simply say, well, every world religion, once again, simply focuses on God as being everything good in the universe. So if God is everything good in the universe, and you believe that there's something good in the universe, you believe in God. In other words, it's it's in my mind, it's a very mathematical scientific approach that people should take to studying religion and spirituality, because a lot of people that get overly concerned with the concept of physical versus spiritual often tend to confuse. The issue. It's as if spirituality doesn't exist. It's it's an ethereal concept, but it's just a concept. It doesn't actually physically exist. In my mind, everything's physical, even our thoughts. There's a physicality to thoughts as a physicality to spirituality.
2: All right. I want to dive into some of the stories from the documentary because they really do work to prove what you what you're saying. One of the video clips that's shown that I had never seen before is of a little ghost boy in a cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. Can you talk about that for our listeners? Because that that's amazing footage.
3: Yes, well, I'm not that familiar with the um the footage aside from having seen it a few hundred times during the editing process, <laughs> not editing that that piece. That's just one piece. It's unedited, there is no editing in that. It's just one camera angle that shows the process ongoing throughout the uh, videotaping of that particular phenomenon. But as far as the phenomenon itself, it's just something that I kept looking for different images that seem to be completely organic and, and untouched by manipulation. And there's approximately five of those that we've located that were included in the documentary more as. Um, something that could be presented, and of course, then we had our own ghost hunt, which, interestingly enough, turned out to be successful, but it's not something that we thought was successful. We spent two days and two nights uh, setting up and, and filming and we thought nothing had actually taken place but the girl that does the on-camera narration who was part of the uh, process noticed something moving across the landscape, but no one thought much of it. And the dog reacted, the little ghost meter or whatever it's referred to as reacted all simultaneously, but it didn't seem like anything at the time. It just seemed like well, the dog's tired, he wants to go home, Uh, The meter went off, who knows why, she saw something. It it didn't seem like anything because no one saw anything specifically, but when we were in post-production, I saw this image wandering across the the frame that appeared to be something similar to what you see in Predator, where it's completely translucent, but you can see the uh, trees and bushes behind the image, but... It's not a person as we would know it in a physical sense in our dimension, but it's a transparent image that appears to be running across screen.
2: Yeah, that was that was absolutely <clears throat> intriguing to watch. And with the uh, footage in the Savannah Cemetery, I found it interesting because it was just a teenage boy on vacation with his family. He you know, wasn't trying to capture this. He wasn't doing a ghost investigation. And you just see this image of a little boy running past the cemetery and jumping up into a tree and coming down and he's seeing it on the video, but no one else is aware of it. Makes you wonder how many ghosts are walking around us all the time, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it could be an infinite number. I mean, when you you think of the universe being infinite, that's a hard enough concept to grasp. But just think of every atom being infinite, because you can divide each atom, even each photon, or each proton, each electron, infinitely. You can never stop dividing any physical object infinitely. So every atom, every proton, every electron is in effect infinite, because it can be split in infinite ways. So it's, in other words, we could have a whole universe. And who knows, maybe there are entire universes. With inside atoms and universes within those universes. In other words, it the infinite manifestation of the universe also applies to the infinite ability to split time or to split a physical um, item of some sort.
4: Wow. What's fascinating to me is you have a very scientific take on this. It's very clear, it's very delineated. You also have the doctorate in psychology. So meshing those two together, do you see any correlation with people that might be more susceptible to these experiences from a psychological viewpoint versus a scientific viewpoint?
3: I'm not sure. I think, of course, there's always different variations in susceptibility. And some people certainly can um, become convinced of something that isn't true just as easily as some people that refuse to believe things that are clearly true. We see that in our world today <laughs> uh, to the point where it seems at any reasonable person utterly insane. Uh, so the susceptibilities from a purely psychological perspective, everyone has different physical and psychological susceptibilities.
2: What's your theory on ghosts? You know, I heard a very interesting one years ago where the person was saying that our physical self stays here and that's what we see as ghost and our spiritual self ascends and rises up. And I thought that was really, really interesting because sometimes when you, some of these ghost videos in your documentary, there was one in the nutrition center, right? Um, The little boy I mentioned in the cemetery, the scary one I wanna get to in a minute at the Wyndham hotel. I I always think to myself, if I were gonna haunt a place It wouldn't be any of those, right? I'd think something amazing. So, what do you think ghosts are?
3: Well, it's hard to say, but ghosts appear to be the conscious mind that remains uh, bound in this particular dimension. As I say, there could be, we, we don't know, because as far as science is concerned, we're at the beginnings of understanding the full physical world, even though we like to think we've. Uh, master the physical world. We certainly haven't come close to it. And I think that um, it may be just a different physical world where they're living, but they're able to interact. And, you know, if it's somebody, for instance, in the nutrition center, manipulating things on the shelves, it could be because that person was uh, intimately involved with the nutrition center preceding their death. Maybe a customer, maybe an owner of the nutrition center, and maybe they, they're they just um, doing things to be mischievous, or they're doing things to try to send a message, or they're doing things to entertain themselves, and maybe they just don't want to live exclusively within that new dimension. But of course, to know for absolute certainty, but I would say that it's something in those in those parameters. Mm-hmm. it's definitely something that takes place that is physical but at the same time spiritual because i see everything being physical spirituality and everything else everything that we know
2: yeah that makes including sense.
3: gravity even though they haven't figured out what causes it yet and then the same with time
0: mm-hmm.
3: what exactly is it well you know and then people try to describe it it's a clock no it's not a clock It's it's something very difficult to understand when you really think about it. It's simple mm-hmm. to say it's five o'clock at six o'clock, but those yes. are all man-made constructions.
2: So
4: true. Right. And it was interesting too, in the, in your documentary that a couple of the examples were related with children, that they were the, the little girl, that she was there alone. And then there was some mischievous stuff, as you would say, And I think that that's an important point as well, because Samantha has brought this up a lot. She has a much stronger background with this than I do with small children will attract that type of energy or teenagers will attract that type of energy more so because of their their vibration, their frequency and and where they are cognitively and emotionally. So did you see any pattern with that?
3: Yes. Well, there, there does seem to be an issue there because as we grow older, we're convinced of certain things, whether they're true or not. And so over time, we're reluctant to believe something that we're told does not exist, or we shouldn't believe for what whatever reason. I think one example of that, which I recall, when I was going to college, I was, I guess I was about, I was 17 at the time, my brother was 18, I believe. So we're still relatively young, it was interesting, he called me from the college and there was just pay phones then, there weren't cell phones. So he called me and it was totally spontaneous. Uh, wasn't something that I had intended, but suddenly I was seeing out of his eyes and I was approximately probably 20, 30 miles away on a landline, cause that's all they had. Well, they had other phones, but nobody had those phones even though they existed. They were extremely expensive, but this is the time where you had to call somebody. You had to go to a phone booth, and um, suddenly I was seeing through his eyes. It wasn't intentional. It it wasn't something that I had practiced, and but it wasn't something that I thought was impossible either. Getting back to the mind, quote unquote, maturing, someone might say, but it's not. It's hardening, in the sense, over time. But then my brother his reaction was, it was extremely unsettling for him because the first thing he said, I said, I can I won't mention his name. I have five brothers <laughs> because he'd still find it unsettling. Um, I, I said, I can see through your eyes. He said, that's absolutely absurd. Of course, you can't see through my eyes. And I said, well, take a look at the phone number on the phone booth. And he looked at, I I could literally see like I was seeing through my eyes and I read the phone number to him. He goes, what? Where are you? Where are you? You're you're at the library and you have binoculars or you memorize the phone number. And and it it was, it really freaked him out. And you can see why it might, but. That
2: would freak me out. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was. And I just thought, wow, this is wild. And and of course, he still believes that it was some trick. And and then I then he said, um, then I said, well, just take a look outside the phone booth and I'll tell you what you're seeing. And so a girl walks by with a polka dot dress, and I say, a girl's walking by with a polka dot dress is a brunette girl. <laughs> and then he just really started to um become completely unsettled. And then I did it a third time. I mean, it, it was very simple. Uh at that time i've never had that level of what would be referred to as remote viewing ever again in my life i've had similar experiences but nothing that that literal connection and it wasn't like he and i were close either we weren't like uh brothers that were constantly in communication it was just very interesting but it goes back to people believing or not believing and I, I was agnostic in that regard, whether or not remote viewing was possible. I didn't even know the term remote viewing. I don't think many people did back then. Um, and it wasn't something I practiced. It wasn't something that he, he wanted. And he was freaked out and he never wanted to ever talk about it again. <laughs> that was it. So it, it does go to an age issue because I think uh, now that that happened to me, so, uh, many years ago that now it, it's certainly something that I realized can happen and can happen on an extraordinary level. Does it happen often? Obviously not, but it's something that can be attained.
2: Yeah. And, and trained because you, you interviewed Captain Skip Atwater who helped fund and who helped lead project, uh, was it Stargate? for the remote viewings, and he talks about training them how to do remote viewing and some of the phenomenal things they were able to discover.
3: Yes, and I think now if I were to be trained, even though then it was a spontaneous event, and I have no idea why it happened or how it happened, but I think if I were trained, I'd probably be able to do it with that extraordinary accuracy once again, but that's because it happened in an early stage of my life where I realized it happened. It was very clear to me. You know, people that say things to me that they they don't believe in this and they don't believe in that, and they have absolutely no humanly possible way of knowing, it just seems uh, the one word that was used is arrogant, which it clearly is arrogant, but it's also foolish. Why would you come to conclusions without having done that? research and then why would you come which most people do and that goes for everything in life they, they listen to uh one news commentator and think that they're listening to the news you better listen to all the news and realize what's said and then do your own independent research if you want to know the truth so this is very similar to that you you really need to understand the subject matter extremely well and if you don't you're going to be making judgment errors
4: totally agree that's a really good point that that happened when you were 17 because a lot of people have that first big surge of connection with spirit connection with intuition late teens early 20s it's almost like uh, you know you hit the toggle switch on that during that time frame and often from from what i people i've known and having been at that point in my life people make a decision to either really say, what is this? And explore it, as you say, do the research to explore it. Or they say, this is too much. I don't want anything to do with this. But yeah. but I personally think as a species, because we are, we're, we're human beings as a species on the planet, that we all have the capability to do that to varying degrees. And it depends on how much you want to open up and how much you want. It is training. It's a muscle. It's muscle memory like anything else. Yeah. So. Uh, and I think with when you were saying that if that had been something you had explored more at that time in your life, it would have put you on a different trajectory than the one that you took. So neither one is right or wrong, but it's just it's fascinating with the timeline that you gave.
3: Yes. Yeah, it was interesting. And it, I, I suppose if someone was able to see out of my eyes, too, it might have freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Vice versa. Exactly. You know, it's what what's going on. This is a. Mm-hmm. But since it was me seeing out of his eyes, I just thought, "Wow, this is very interesting and and, and extraordinary." But I suppose if I was there on the receiving end of someone being able to see everything I see, that would be a little unsettling.
2: Yeah, I would feel like, "Where's where's where's my privacy in this moment?" Which would yeah. be really really strange. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the videos in the documentary that I found uh, frightening, but also very very real and vivid was when the security guards went to the hotel room at the Wyndham and they heard, you can hear it on, on the video you show, you can hear the woman screaming and the security guard is there and he's on the radio with his boss. And they're like, we need to call 911. And, you know, don't approach, don't approach, but you hear the woman screaming and the security guards like I I have to, and he goes in and there's nobody in there, but all the furniture is turned over that I, I don't know, you show that to someone, how do they say, oh, that's all made up because you've got all those guys who are verified people saying this happened?
3: Yes, it's a very interesting um, a video which was a you know CCTV uh, video for the security of that uh, hotel complex and it it's 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 all very interesting and I think that the um you know, life after death, Generally speaking, if so many people weren't frightened by it, there would be a lot more research being done and in a scientific manner. Uh, And there would be far more religions that were terrified about speaking about the intercommunications, which their entire religion is predicated on. To me, it makes no sense whatsoever because it, logically speaking, does not. It makes sense from a psychological perspective. They're frightened. And that's one of the reasons we made the topic both on ghosts and the afterlife. Because if the title of the film was just life after death, it would probably scare away 80% viewers. It it frightens them. And I find it also interesting that during Halloween, they all dress up as um, they're either dead or dying, or as they're Frankenstein monsters or whatever then, then and they're running around in coffins or whatever they're doing. It's, I suppose, a, a cathartic type of a process where they're facing their fears during that period of time, but they don't wanna face that in any other time. Uh, I, I just notice that there's a lot of people rather than confronting it through factual and research, uh, that they simply want to avoid it in their minds. I mean, no one wants to wander around thinking about that they're going to die, but that's not the whole point of the afterlife. You don't die. You continue to live. So it's interesting to me the way so many people approach the subject matter.
4: Yeah. That was really interesting from a perspective as an evidential medium. I have no doubt of what you're saying. I talk to people without any... Samantha does the same. We're able to connect with with different realms, with different experiences. And if I couldn't bring through something concrete evidence that I'd have no way of knowing, then I would have a hard time believing it. But when you have something that you is so specific or that is so uh, brings through the essence of that person of who they were when they were here, That's a different, I mean, I have two thoughts running in my head at the same time, the evidential mediumship and and correlating with what you're saying, but also with the comparative religions that if you go back to the original tenants, they're all saying the same thing. And it's been, for lack of a better word, bastardized over the years into these very specific pathways, which makes absolutely no sense to me because it. how can, if you're in this church pew, or you're in this temple, or you're in this mosque, you somehow have an advantage in the afterlife, when as a medium, I connect with people from all backgrounds.
3: Yes, yeah, it's it's interesting, because as we know, when we go back in history, you see the first teachings of Jesus, which a lot of his teachings were predicated on e- earlier Eastern religions, um, all of it which was good, not not all of the Eastern religions, <clears throat> but all of which um, uh, Jesus predicated his teachings on uh, and the ones that he developed on his own. Uh, they all really stated that everybody, you know, had the ability to live eternally, et cetera. They just basically, for all intents and purposes, had to be decent people.
2: Which shouldn't be so hard, and yet it seems to be a sticking point for many people. That that and fear. What has been some of the feedback you've been getting after this documentary has come out? Have people been sending you their stories or other videos that they have of proof of consciousness after death?
3: Yes, they do. Um, there's a lot of people that do. Um, a lot of people involved in the study, you know, mediums that uh, want to become involved, like in the sequel, if there is a sequel. And then there's people that send images that they've recorded, but the images so far that we received after to the fact haven't been that convincing, but in some, at some point in time, I'm sure that we will encounter one that is convincing, you know, to add to the collection that we already have.
2: But see, that's good because I feel like you guys did take a scientific nod to this, to this documentary and you only included video and evidence that could be proven not just oh here's something interesting we found but it was all unedited you know unadulterated it had been checked by authorities in the field and i think people who are going to render buy this documentary on amazon need to know that that it's been authenticated
3: yes um, also the information that we have is studies such as the study done by nasa with the the jet pilots in spinning them to such a a degree with the centrifuge where all the blood in their brain drains, and they're effectively brain dead, but they report having greater consciousness than they've ever had before when they've been artificially caused to be brain dead. Now that there's no oxygen, there's no blood in the brain due to the centrifuge going so quickly, so much G-force, yet they had it enhanced sense of consciousness again it's interesting because there have been a few um, people who have gotten very angry and so there's no science uh, and you just you don't know what their motive is or what their perspective is because it's the, the scientific method is predicated on collecting all the evidence through every means possible you do interviews you do studies of studies to make sure the study design was legitimate and it made sense and there was no bias involved. You do everything that we did in this study. We present everything that you can possibly present. But there's there's so many people that get upset uh, about one thing or another. That it, for instance, there was a lot of people initially, not so much anymore, but when it first came out a few months ago, just it's only been out, I think four months now. The the on camera narrator, there was people just screaming. It was probably people that were, that didn't like her for some reason, in the and in, in some other, for some other reason. But they're all complaining about the color of her dress, and then there are other people complaining about her shoes or not wearing shoes in a certain scene or uh, changing her wardrobe too many times when she goes to do a different interview. Things that are completely and utterly irrelevant that you can't even imagine somebody would be paying attention to. Now, if the dress was had handles on it and flashing lights or something absurd, then you could say, yeah, th- this was absurd. It was distracting. But she was just wearing pretty run-of-the-mill wardrobes. There, there wasn't anything unusual. Um, uh, so it's it's bizarre the way you get different reactions from different people. So there's a lot of aspects to it.
4: From the other perspective, I think there are a lot of people that put a gadget on their phone or they go into a building that has a history and they're convinced that they're picking up on something, but they they don't have anything evidential to back it up. They don't have anything. They They have an app that they've downloaded onto their phone that makes a little squiggly mark. And that's a completely different, what you're bringing through in your documentary is validation that there is more, and there are specifics with that. So I think from a perspective though, as a spiritual perspective, people want to believe, they want to know that there's something more. They want to know that their people who have passed are okay. And I think sometimes human nature Folks will look for things to be there, even if they can't substantiate it because their heart needs to know that there's something more.
3: Yes. Yes, that's um, <clears throat> yeah, that's very much the the case in most circumstances. And some people are just a little intimidated by learning more and branching their beliefs out beyond what they're told. They should or shouldn't believe. You see that in politics. Well, politics today has become psychotic, but uh, <laughs> it's utterly insane. And that's just one example of it. We could go on, but then we'd be discussing politics. But it it, it goes to the subject matter of what people are willing to believe. So it's similar with certain cults, religious cults, and then the certain major religions that have committed serious atrocities based on the quote-unquote leader of their religion, telling them to commit these atrocities.
4: The, the whole drinking the Kool-Aid perspective.
3: Yes, sure. yes.
4: But but there's also, for, with just for all of the examples you gave, as people, as humanity, realizing that what I believe may be completely dead-ass opposite to what someone else believes, but it doesn't make mine more right or more wrong. It's just different. And I think that in order to come together in unity, which is what we're trying to do, we have to. And I agree. There's a, just a lot of foolishness in the world right now. There's a lot of things that make absolutely no sense. But I, I think it's part of people opening up to something more, or at least I hope so. I really do hope so.
3: Well, yes. Well, the the whole thing about um, convincing people of crazy things from a psychological perspective, speaking about crazy things where people go off into, what was uh, Heaven's Gate? Do you remember what? Heaven's yeah. Gate about 25 years ago and the insanity that
4: ensued with this one person else? Well, and the- hale was another one. Remember yes. when Haley's Comet and they were going to yes. go on the tail of the comet? And, and that goes back to what I was just saying, but the people believed that in their soul that that was going to happen Absolutely. because they trusted it. And I think that's a, been a thread in everything that you're saying is that we may, you, you've brought through enough science to support, but a lot of people are just going on blind faith that they know that there's something more there and trying yes. to bring those two together to correlate. Maybe that's the key.
3: Yeah. So that is the key that, that people need to understand that there is a physical aspect to everything in spirituality. It, physical to me just means that it exists if it exists it's a physical so everything has a physical element to it in to one degree or another and in the belief systems most people are simply followers then that but that's not a bad thing necessarily the problem is when they start following the wrong people because that's how we have a civilization because if we didn't have followers we wouldn't have cooperation either so there there's very positive things elements to following.
2: I enjoy the way the documentary ends with the World War II vet sharing his story of, of walking through a very traumatic battlefield and hearing that message of there is no death. And I think really that's what's at the heart of this documentary. Can you tell people where they can access it and find it?
3: Yes. Well, um, Amazon, uh, has, uh, the documentary, both on DVD and, and of course, streaming. Then there's Voodoo. If you don't have an Amazon account, you know, then you have to sign up and it becomes a little more difficult than Voodoo. So between Amazon, Voodoo, but it's on all major platforms. It's on iTunes, it's on um, uh, everything else. Uh, Google Play, uh, all these different uh, VOD platforms.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on and we'll post links for all of all of where you can find and rent and and buy the documentary, but we appreciate your time today.
3: Yes. Well, it was great speaking to you both.
4: Yes. Thank you.
2: And for everyone listening, please remember as always to show up, do great work and share your light.
4: Take care.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.